Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. Dear Young Rocker, well, it's inevitable. You're going to have that first kiss. I promise that eventually in your life you will start kissing people you actively seek out and personally choose to. But unfortunately, you're still in your confidence-building phase, and it's a long one for you. This kiss is not going to happen in the most fair way, and I know you will entirely blame yourself, but you absolutely should not. With the pressures of teenage social life around you, it's hard to tease apart what you actually want to do from what you feel like will make you appear a certain way. The biggest fear in your life right now is looking lame to other kids. I have a feeling that just about everyone who's ever been a teenager has also made some not super great decisions solely in order to look cool or a grown up or not a prude or a wimp. It's all pretty confusing, I know. You're doing your best and despite this hiccup, your band is definitely shaping up. Once you get to where I'm at, both kissing and bands become fairly boring compared to the role they play in your life currently. So, hey, live up that drama while you still have the energy for it and no real responsibilities yet. Because soon enough, you'll be comparing health insurance plans with your drummer and falling asleep in front of the TV every night next to the same wonderfully undramatic guy who made sure to ask if he could kiss you the first thousand times it happened. So, I guess my life is boring now, but thinking back on what you're going through, I'm pretty happy with that. P.S. It will take you five or six to figure this out, but drummers are always bad news. Stick to your own kid. Bassists are the coolest. I'm walking around the fairgrounds with my band. Our friend Brian is with us too. It's kind of drizzling and we keep kicking trash away on the ground. Those huge spinny rides covered in lights are whooshing. We pass a food cart and the fried dough smell makes me feel nauseous. School's been back a couple weeks and we're all sophomores now. The Sterling Fair is kind of the first social event of the year. You can tell who's dating each other now and who the new friend cliques are. I feel good to be in a group of all guys. It feels natural. When I'm around boys, I feel less self-conscious about how I look and how I dress. I can just talk about music and whatever and fit right in. The social rules of girls seem more complicated to me and like they're getting even more complicated every year. I don't know what I'd talk about with them. I'd probably do it wrong. Ricky, Fred, and Nick split off and walk ahead of us. Brian hangs back with me. All of a sudden he says, What would you say if I told you someone liked you? I feel kind of weird like, Maybe he's making fun of me? 
Is this a trap? Or maybe Brian actually likes me? Brian is okay, I guess. I'm not exactly sure I like him back, though. Oh, crap. It's not him. It's Nick. I'd sensed it in his sweaty hugs after practice. He always puts his head really close to mine. I remember that Fred had made a rule there would be no interband dating when I joined. But Fred just quit the band and kind of disappeared. We haven't heard from him. So... Brian says, Huh? Yeah, of course I like Nick. I say, trying to make it clear, I mean like as in a friend or I'm okay with his existence, not like-like, and kind of pretending I don't know what he actually means. Then I walk faster to catch up to the rest of the group. I see a ride I want to go on, but I don't have enough tickets left for it, so I ask if I can get one from someone. Brian says he'll give me one if you kiss Nick. No, I think. I want some time to think about this first. Maybe ask my mom about it or something, but now I have to just do it. Maybe I can make it off like just a friend kiss and it wouldn't mean anything. You know, like the French do. Bonjour. I'm totally 0% attracted to Nick, so maybe it will be obvious in my body language if I make it real casual. I just know that if I refuse, I'll look like some kind of wimpy prude again like I did this past summer at camp when I found myself sitting on a boy's lap and everyone around us started chanting, But I chickened out, even though I thought he was really cute. I don't want to be a prude forever, and I don't want Nick to be mad at me at band practice or something. Okay, sure. Again, I try to sound real casual and not excited about it. I close my eyes. My heart races, and I feel a jolt upon impact. It doesn't quite feel good. It was kind of too hard. And I didn't like the spit part. He had his mouth sort of open-ish for some reason. Was I supposed to do that? I tried to discreetly wipe my mouth after. Okay, let's go on the ride now. Nick gets on and sits next to me. Great. After the ride, I realize my mom's going to be here to pick us up soon. We walk to the back of the field to hop over the fence. Ricky walks ahead and hops over, but Nick holds my arm to stop me and turns me toward him. He kisses me again. I want to say, no, I only did it for a ticket, but I don't know how without making him feel bad. After a couple seconds of it, I pull away and turn it into a hug. He looks really happy. Fred quit this summer. It was while I was at camp. I walked down the dirt path to the camp computer to check my email. I had a new one from Nick and Ricky. They said that they had stopped hearing from Fred a while ago, and then he finally got in touch to say he didn't want to do the band anymore, but didn't give a reason. They said they'd both be happy to do it as a three-piece, and I said sure. The other dramatic email I got while at camp was from Roya. 
Before I left, I knew she had started dating this guy, Mike, who was like 19, even though he still hadn't graduated. He had been in the mental hospital a couple times and had cigarette burns on his arms that he had done to himself and definitely did drugs. He had scary dark eyes and I felt creeped out when he looked at me. I told Roya I was really pissed about her going out with someone so dangerous seeming and that it was me or Mike. The next day, one of the camp counselors took me to the office to get an emergency phone message. It was Roya. She said she'd choose me over any boy and we were best friends forever. The counselor gave me an angry face and told me I wasn't allowed to get calls from friends. And I tried to explain that I couldn't help it if my friend was being a crazy drama queen. She called me. I didn't tell her to call me. The counselors didn't like us because our cabin had a lot of girls that were not at all prudes or virgins like I was. One of them even had nipple rings, which she showed us. And she said she'd been in a porn. At the end of camp, she hooked up behind the music building with the boy I almost kissed. Another girl stole stuff from all of us, including my shoes. It was a theater camp. Theater kids are weird. I just went there because they had a music program and even a rock band option. I wanted to take bass lessons and get better at it so I could be super good. I prepared the bass part from Black Sabbath's Iron Man as an audition for when I got there. The teacher was blown away. He said I was the best bass player he'd seen at the camp and even brought over another teacher to have me play for him too. But I didn't like that. I turned red and got kind of mad. I had messed up a couple notes. I'm not that good. I went there to get good. I have to be better than any of the guy bass players. If I'm just okay at bass, everyone will think I'm good for a girl. I have to just be good, period. I tried to convince my bandmates to go to the camp too. They said we could all get better at music, but they said why not just stay home and work on songs together with them? We didn't need band lessons. They didn't get it. When I got back from camp, we sat on Nick's bed and flipped through a book of poems by Jim Morrison. One was called The New Animals, and we decided it would be our new band name. Then we started writing some new songs. I'm not good enough at music to write a whole one myself, but I can come up with ideas and then Ricky makes them into a song. One day during practice, we're goofing around and I start playing this root fifth thing on two different notes. It sounds like cheesy elevator music. Nick starts playing a jazzy beat. Ricky adds some seventh chords and starts singing in a high falsetto. And then we take turns talking over the music. I say, first floor for all your elderly undergarments. We keep improvising stuff, and after a couple minutes of elevator music, Nick shouts. And we break into a fast, hardcore punk riff and all scream. Over and over again. I jump up and down and pretend to kick the drums over. When we all recover from elevator ride, I start playing a bass line I had come up with at home. It sounds like something a ska band would play. 
probably because I've been listening to the specials and Madness lately. Ricky picks up on the line and starts doing the guitar chords with the ska rhythm. It feels good having my ideas accepted, as stupid as I think they really are. After a while, Nick stands up from behind the drums looking all red and sweaty. Ricky and I know that means we're done. We sit on the couch and Nick puts on the Full Metal Jacket DVD. A few minutes into it, Nick's mom yells down the stairs, Nicholas, Ricky's mom is here. I hug Ricky goodbye. Nick grabs Ricky around the neck and gives him a painful looking noogie and then Ricky is gone and I'm all alone with Nick. I'm not sure when my mom is coming. I'm not nervous anymore as he leans in, but I hold my breath like I do every time. That way, I can't smell Nick's spit. Spit is the worst part of kissing. When he pulls away to laugh at the movie, I use my sweatshirt sleeve to wipe off my mouth and chin. I don't understand how it always gets all over me. He started kissing me in the hallway before the bell rings, too. I figure that means I'm his girlfriend. I'm not really sure how I could have stopped it from happening. I really knew for sure it was too late the day my English teacher, Mr. Farrell, asked me, How's Nick? If the teachers know, then it's official. I couldn't stop the kissing now because it would mean I'm dumping him. If I do that, I know the band would break up and I'd once again be a no one. I'd be back to roaming the halls alone, constantly moving because I wouldn't have a group to stand with, flinching at doorways and scurrying home as fast as I could when the bell rang. There's no way I can be that again. So, I've accepted the girlfriend role. I like that I get a best friend out of the deal at least, someone to talk to on the phone with since I didn't talk to Roya as much since the Mike thing. It seems like she must have stayed with him. I still hang out with Colby sometimes, but Nick always wants to come over after school, and I've never been good at hanging out with two friends at once. One time, the three of us were together, and Nick and I locked her on the porch and made out. Even though I don't really like him that much, and I definitely don't like making out really at all, I guess it felt cool to have a boyfriend or something. It doesn't seem like Colby will ever get one. She walked home mad at me, and then in Latin class when I said I had band practice, she said, Nick practice. I felt really dumb, but didn't know how to say sorry. I thought about it a lot of times, but I couldn't think of a way of doing it without things getting even more complicated. My life is just my band now, I guess. Colby joined the drama club and started hanging out with those kids more. I actually thought about joining too, but I need band practice time and Nick time now too. At least Nick always laughs at my jokes and we can be goofy together. At school, my legs don't feel heavy and painful anymore when I walk around. It is slightly less scary to be looked at now, even if I still don't love my body or how I dress. At least I know one person likes how I look. And it's easy enough to blend into my friends with band shirts and jeans since that's what I usually want to wear anyway. 
I still feel embarrassed if someone sees us kissing, so I try to get it over with quickly or put it off until there aren't too many people looking. The idea of being with someone I really like or have a crush on is still impossible. I know it will just never happen, and I don't even try to dream about it. You don't go out with people you like is the unwritten but obvious rule in my mind. I know if I found myself alone with someone I like, it would be scary and I'd be really self-conscious. At least with Nick, I'm comfortable because I'm not worried about looking cool enough for him. So we can actually talk and stuff. As we keep watching Full Metal Jacket, I look down at his t-shirt and I think that I must have seen everyone he owns at this point. The army green mash one he's wearing, a couple of super faded black The Clash shirts, and a red Che Guevara one. The acrid smell of his sweat saturating the old t-shirt, blending with the doggy smell of the basement, and the dried spit on my face hits me all at once. The full combo reminds me of vomit. I hope my mom picks me up soon so I can breathe through my nose again. I try to focus instead on Nick's big round blue eyes framed with long eyelashes and his light reddish brown hair. His cheeks are still a little pink from playing. He's cute, right? I'm sure other people have thought that, so I just have to find it for myself. His eyelids are always kind of half-masked. It gives him kind of a stoned, sleepy look. He looks at me with that sideways glance of his that suggests some dry, sarcastic remark floating in his head. Probably something like, You're really loving this war movie, huh? And I start laughing before he even gets it out. We played our first real show in October. It was at a place called Club Marquee, spelled wrong, with one E. So maybe it's actually Club Mark? I don't know. It's on Main Street in Worcester and looks pretty shady from the outside. John, from Beware of the Dog, was the one who got us the show. It was the only club we knew of that let kids under 18 play. When we walked in, I saw John's tall, skinny frame and wide black pants, like the double barrel of a shotgun. He came over to us as we were putting stuff on the stage. We thanked him for letting us play the show. He had set it up for Beware the Dog and given us the opening slot. I think Ricky had kind of bugged him about it. John said he'd introduce us to the guy that ran the shows. While we waited, I realized how disgusting it smelled in there. People definitely smoke cigarettes sometimes. And the floor was so sticky, my shoes got stuck to it every time I stood still for like one second. John brought us over to a tall, heavyset black guy in a big leather jacket. He seemed pretty nice and shook all of our hands. He told us to get on the stage and set up our stuff. Ricky tried to sing into a microphone, but no sound came out. I tried another one. I could smell it from almost a foot away, and when I got close enough, it hit my lip with an electric shock. Ugh. Ten or fifteen people were standing in the audience watching me get shocked. This included some of our parents and the other bands who were going to play that night. We walked away from our parents before our set, to the back room that had mirrored walls. 
I thought it looked like a strip club, not that I have seen a real one. As we talked about what songs we were going to play, I wrapped my legs and arms on a pole that was holding up the ceiling and swung around. Ricky wrote out a set list with a Sharpie in his nearly illegible scribbly handwriting. Then the promoter guy came over and told us it was time to play. I liked that it was dark in the club, but that there were lights facing us that were so bright I could just barely make out the shapes of the people in the audience, but not really see their faces at all. It was like I was playing for a bunch of cardboard cutouts. This made me feel more comfortable than the brightly lit gyms and churches we had played in before. I turned on my amp and checked that my tuning matched Ricky's. We tuned like we did an orchestra. He gave me an A, and I matched it by ear instead of using an electric tuner. Ricky had started playing double bass in orchestra this year, so I saw him a lot. Soon, Nick counted off. Ricky started playing the guitar riff. I waited a measure and then came in with the bass part without thinking about it. As I've gotten better, the divide between my brain and body seems to have increased. My hands just do what they're supposed to, and my brain goes off and thinks about whatever it feels like. Sometimes this leads to a bum note, but whatever. When I saw a couple kids standing right up against the stage, nodding along to the music, I started playing more intensely and nodding my head too. It brought me back into thinking about playing instead of just mechanically doing it. I couldn't hear Ricky singing though. I tried to come in with the backup vocal part, but the mic zapped me for a second time and I couldn't hear myself at all, so I gave up. I looked to the side of the room at the bar and the backs of the few old people sitting hunched over, one playing the gambling computer game at the end of the bar. Our set felt like it was over pretty quickly. As we were packing up our instruments, another band came up to us and one of them said, Great set. They called themselves Skeeter Valentine. It was a reference to that show, Doug. I told them we liked the name, and the bass player told me I did a good job. I felt my cheeks flushing and didn't say thanks because I thought it would be narcissistic to feel good about playing what I thought were such easy bass parts. To avoid thinking about myself, I focused on the instrument the other bass player was holding. I'd never seen a bass that looked like it before. The body was unfinished wood, and the shape was a weird mashup of different polygons. He held it up to me and said something about it in my ear, but another band was already playing, and I couldn't hear him. So I just nodded because I didn't want to look like a dork by saying, What? What? Wait, what? I felt like I should know what it was. I leaned closer to the headstock where a brand label should be, but it was blank. Who makes it, I asked. I'm telling you, I made it. Oh, wow, neat. I immediately felt so nerdy for saying neat, but I thought it was so cool that he built his own base. It was just about the coolest thing I'd ever heard of, actually. He told me something about the pickups. I didn't know what he was talking about, but smiled and nodded as if I did. I'd never thought you could make your own base. I opened my eyes wide and realized he was really cute. His big blue eyes looked nice with his black hair, and the way he spoke gave me the feeling he was super smart. I like smart people. 
When his band played, I found out he was the singer, too. I still didn't know his name because I couldn't hear him tell me. They started playing a Weezer cover. I hadn't heard the song before, so I didn't know it was a cover. It was fast. I liked the energy of it, and I started bobbing along and caught on to the chorus. I was fascinated as I watched him sing and play. I liked how powerfully he sang and how comfortable he seemed playing bass and singing at the same time. I wanted to do that. He opened his mouth really wide and pushed his chest out, unlike the singers in most of the other bands we played with who just mumble and look down at the floor through their emo bangs. After he played, we talked again, and I found out his name is Chris. He asked me for my screen name on AAM. I told him, Silver Base 18, and he remembered without writing it down. Beware of the dog came on next, and pretty quickly, my mom said it was late and that we all had to go because she couldn't handle listening to this metal music. Chris sent me a message on AIM the next day. My stomach did a flip when his window popped up on my screen. We talked about bands and bass playing, and he said he was impressed by my rockin' rhythms on our song, Hercules. It kind of embarrassed me because I knew it was a really easy two-chord song, and I figured he must know that. I wondered if he was just impressed that I could play such an easy song because I'm a girl. We chatted more, and I found out he was exactly one year and one day older than me. When I asked where he went to school, he told me he was at Mass Academy. I looked it up because I hadn't heard of it. I guess it's for, like, advanced high school kids to take math and science classes at Worcester Polytech. I was kind of impressed. I really hoped he thought I was smart, too. When we finished chatting, he told me, give me a hug next time you see me. And I felt a million little sparkles rise in my chest. I told him I would. I didn't tell him about Nick, and I wondered if I could keep him from finding out. Like... Maybe we didn't have to be officially going out after all. I didn't sign anything or really make any sort of agreement, right? Maybe I could write it off as friends who, like, kiss each other once in a while or something. I hoped. A few days later, we all went to Chris's house in Worcester and had a jam session in his basement. We all traded off different instruments, and I tried out the homemade bass. I found it kind of hard to play, but still thought it was so cool. Just touching it made me tingly. Afterwards, we stood around in the cold driveway, and Nick put his arm around me and kissed my cheek. A bomb of rage went off inside of me. It was an anger I haven't felt since I was little. Why'd he have to frickin' do that? Why did he have to show off that he thinks I belong to him I am my own damn person. Chris stood looking at us with his hands in his sweatshirt pocket and blinked. He was who I actually wanted to kiss. As my insides reached a boil, I imagined clawing Nick's arm off of me, punching him in the face, and finishing it off by spitting at him. Instead, I looked at the ground like nothing happened and just let my cheeks turn red.
Dear young rocker, okay, we've avoided it long enough. It's time to start talking about dating. By dating someone you aren't interested in, you're doing yourself, your friends, and the person you're going out with a total disservice, even if it feels like the way to keep everyone happy. I understand you didn't intend to do it, and to you, there was absolutely no possible way around it. Well, the way around it would have been some firm but delicate verbal communication, which I know to you is a terrifying thing. You probably overthought what exactly to say and came up with nothing in the classic social anxiety style. But it really doesn't have to be complicated. Practice saying these three little words a few times in a row. No thank you. No thank you. No thank you. No thank you. No thank you might have gotten you out of there pretty quickly if you could just deal with the moment of awkwardness. But you couldn't, and now you're starting to feel trapped. Being a female musician often comes with a lot of completely unfair baggage, and this is your introduction. But hey, even if you weren't in a band, you could have been in a friend group and felt pressured to date someone to keep the clique happy. Girls often sense that boys will get mad and ruin things if we don't comply with them. So we do what we can to take care of their feelings, but that needs to be rejected as soon and as firmly as possible. If I could go back to being you, I would explain to Brian and Nick how from your perspective you felt super pressured whether or not that was their intention. In Nick's mind, you just like him back as much as he likes you, and Brian thinks he was being a good friend by helping his pal kiss his crush. Teenagers, especially boys, typically don't take subtle hints and aren't super great at understanding how their actions make other people feel unless they're directly told. But then, if you really go out of your way to say you aren't interested, you run the risk of being labeled the B-word at best. And I don't want to get too dark here, but we've been programmed our entire lives, seeing TV shows, movies, and news stories where violence is done to a woman or a girl after they've rejected a man or a boy. You don't have enough experience to see all these factors at play, you just feel bad and weird and stuck because you're sensing this potential to have someone be angry at you or to make weirdness in your friend group. So you comply, even though you weren't the one who started the whole thing. I understand. This is the first friend group you've had in a while and you'll do whatever it takes to keep it. You will have to practice that no thanks for exactly these situations. I mean, even very recently, I, a happily taken, full-grown woman, got tricked into being on a date with someone. I went to a show alone to see my friend's band, and two guys standing near me asked me to get a drink with them after. We had been talking about music, guitars, and recording, and bands. It hadn't been remotely flirtatious, and they seemed like harmless nerds. Plus, it was a group thing, so I said sure, yay friends. When we got to the bar, one of the two suddenly said, eh, I'm going home now, but you two have fun. Mike's a really great guy, and turned and walked away. I was suddenly alone on a date with this Mike without my consent. I was so dumbfounded, I couldn't even think of what to say. 
In that moment, I remembered your own paralysis. My first instinct was to go along with it and keep being friendly, even though that made absolutely no sense and I had no interest. I went over the facts in my mind, wondering if I had done something to seem like I wanted to go on a date or indicate that I was single. But neither of these people had asked me if I was in a relationship or even attracted to men, period. Never mind if I was interested in that guy himself. Once again, a guy was just trying to help his pal, and once again, he didn't consider my feelings. I'll give it to the guy I was left with that he also seemed pretty confused and not super thrilled with his friend for pulling this move. My point here is this. Of course, these things are entirely the fault of the other party, but you still better get those communication skills together because unfair stuff probably isn't going to stop happening. But if we help each other to resist it and tell the perpetrators why it's wrong, we might be able to reduce its frequency and help stop it from happening to others whenever we can. Feeling inadequate as a bass player, even though you're already very good, is another part of the female musician baggage. I'm certain there are probably many non-dudes out there who feel intimidated to even try to join a band because of that. They're out there playing and drawing and creating all kinds of incredible creative things alone in their rooms. And I truly hope all of them find others to share their work with one day, even with all the baggage it may come with. I'm so proud of you for at least putting yourself out there despite your insecurity and despite how much it comes with. But God, I wish you knew how talented you already are. Your biggest fear is losing your band. That makes sense. It's your entire social life and you feel like you would be lost without it because you don't feel like you have anything in common with anyone else. You feel like you've lost your two female friends because of issues with boys too. You've neglected Colby for Nick for far too long at this point even if that wasn't your intention. And not to get too deep, but it might have something to do with having divorced parents. You're used to the specifically weird feeling of being torn between two sides, and it feels like your natural state. So you end up recreating it with your friends, and you'll see this pattern emerge many, many more times. But anyway, Remember how Colby has a guitar and takes lessons and you used to play together? And you know how in orchestra there's that girl that plays percussion? She's pretty good. I wouldn't be surprised if she could play a drum kit as well as Nick, if not better. I bet if you wanted to, you could get a band going with people you'd never have to worry about pressuring you into dating them. I know it seems impossible, but it really is not. And thinking you don't know enough about music to write a song is completely incorrect. If you can pluck a couple notes and hum a tune, you can write a song, and you're far past that, kid. With everything you're going through, I bet you could write some sick songs. Okay, that's all for now. Hang in there. Next time on Dear Young Rocker, young Chelsea gets put on the spot with a very stressful decision. How will she do?
Young Rockers, we're going to have some fun with a little contest, and I'd love if you could join in. Do you have something to say to your younger, awkward, music-loving self? Now's the time. Join me in sharing your own hashtag DearYoungRocker photo on Instagram for a chance to win a nostalgia-inducing prize pack. To enter, share a photo from your own awkward rocker phase, use hashtag DearYoungRocker in your caption, and follow Double Elvis for a sneak peek of the prizes. I can't wait to see all your weird little selves. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. It was written and created by me, Chelsea Arson. I also wrote the theme song. Additional music and sound design by myself, Sean Kahalen, and James Bridges, who is also the audio engineer on this episode. I also want to thank my bandmates from my band, Banana, Ryan Higgins and Justin Cole, for their voice acting as my high school bandmates in the past couple episodes. Please follow me on Twitter at RockerDeer and Instagram at DearYoungRocker, where I post a totally sweet playlist every week to go along with the episode. I really also want to thank everyone who shared their feelings with me in a private message. It really keeps me going and makes me sure that this podcast is important for people and that it needs to reach as many ears as possible. So please do send me a message. I will read it and it will make my day. But also it's important that if this show makes you feel something, to please make sure you're subscribed and leave a review in Apple Podcasts because that's how you can help make sure this story gets to as many young rockers who might really need it as possible. Thank you. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.